Hello and welcome back to In Short. I'm your host, Alicia, an audiobook producer and director, and every other week we'll open with a new author's short story that we've recorded for you. Then, following each, I'll be sitting down to chat with the author. We'll talk about writing, the spark of inspiration, and the process of recording and narrating their story. Then, at the end of this mini-series, I'll be trying to write and narrate my own short story, informed by all the wonderful people I've talked with. We'll also have bonus episodes focusing on audiobooks along the way, chats with industry professionals, interviews with authors, and anyone else I can get to talk to me about audiobooks. This week, we have a short story by P.H. Lowe. Phoebe P.H. Lowe is a Malaysian-Chinese-American writer with work published or forthcoming in Strange Horizons, Tor.com, and Fantasy Magazine, among others. She is a proud graduate of Viable Paradise 2019, and currently serves as a first reader for Correo, a speculative fiction magazine featuring immigrant and diaspora writers and stories. The short story featured in today's episode was originally published in If There's Anyone Left. So please, sit back and enjoy this short story from Phoebe's Blanket Fort in Iowa. The Flock is Your Blood by P. H. Lowe You do not want your wings. You twist your back toward the mirror, tweeze, pull. Gray stalks at your shoulder blades, slow intimate slide of extraction. The satisfying stretch and snap of your skin as it clings and then surrenders. You do not want these wings. They are, or will become, not the luminous white of a snowy owl's, nor an eagle's streamlined obsidian, only a patchy dung brown, the gawking limbs of a vulture. You know, because those of your parents sprouted long ago. Tweeze. Watch feather stems spiral into the trash. If you pull hard enough, they won't gather in second-third spines down the backs of your ribs. If you pull hard enough, the stumps of your shoulder blades will bulge only a little, like baby hairs. So itchy you could claw out your skin in the middle of calculus. And you almost do, once. Get sent to the nurse's office with blood all under your fingernails as the blonde girl next to you texts vomit emojis to her snickering friends. If you just watch yourself, every word, every breath, you can hold it off for another year. There's a boy. You meet in drama club, not because either of you knows how to act, but because he's watching you forget your monologue from the grubby dark doorway of the auditorium. And afterward, he says, Hey, I'm new. His eyes bright in the shadows, and you catch a pale tuft of down feather on the sleeve of his peacoat. There's a boy. And the next day at lunch, he sits at the table in front of yours, and you watch him out of the corner of your eye, wondering if you'll see another gray wisp another portent of unbelonging. And when he turns to the side, his grin flashes too wide and you think, he knows, he knows, he knows. 
The next week, the itching gets so bad you sprint to the bathroom and tear off your coat and sweater and t-shirt. It's so cold in this school, you're always cold. And pull, right there in front of the sink where anyone could be watching. And blood is weeping trails down your back, and it hurts like mad, and you're making these crying gasping sounds like a dying cat, and you hear his voice. Are you okay? Around the corner. You tell him to fuck off, and he fades away. But in the library that afternoon, when he brushes past you with an indifference so flawless it's a work of art, it's your hand that shoots out to catch his sleeve, your mouth that tumbles out the words, hey, I'm sorry, and then choking, please. He looks at you then, the bloody crescents you couldn't scrub from under your fingernails, and then he tugs up the hem of his shirt and says, me too. And there they are, pressed against the backs of his ribs, dark and growing and whole. I'll show you something, he says. Something else. And you follow him out the back door, past the art class trailers and the tennis courts and the parking lot, out into a field where there's only swaying wheat and a faded barn, and he says, look up. You stand and look at the washed-out sky. What, you say. Your fingers itch for tweezers. Wait for it. Cold wind snakes down your neck, tugs your hair. You stick your hands in your armpits. The highway drones behind you, truckers and families on holiday speeding wearily past, counting the endless spool of mile markers as fields give way to mountains give way to sea. No one ever stops here. You want to crawl out of your own skin. You have always wanted to crawl out of your own skin. His breath clouds the empty air. Here they come. Your fingers have frozen by the time you see them. A trickle of birds, then a stream. Wings spanned longer than arms. From so far below, you can't make out the model of their feathers the choked forest of bristles where shaft must meet skin. Only flight, the aching grace of bodies streamlined and borne up by nothing but wind. They are the image of, the word that comes to you is honor, the way stage light casts a face, any face, in arrested focus, makes them worthy of being seen. For some reason, you want to cry. One of them lands near you, as if drawn by your scent, your hunger. Its feathers are glossy amber, its curved beak proud, stirring, lethal. As it regards you with one golden eye, it occurs to you that you and it are two lives born of the same blood, parallel histories drawn for a moment, perpendicular, that you are as much a monster as it is and as little. Hello, you say. And it nips your ear, though not hard, as it might one of its children. When it takes off, an ache settles in the back of your throat, as if someone you know is leaving for a long trip. It doesn't look back. Why would it? And the flock circles one more time and is gone. You look at the boy. He looks at you. 
Now do you see? He asks. And you walk back to school together, in silence. You think about how you've never seen your parents fly. The gawk of their half-sprouted appendages, like third and fourth arms. A flattening. A negation. You think about the bitten twinge across your ear, and the way that bird looked you in the eye, and how it must have grown up, surrounded by sky. You think about how your back still itches like hell. At the door to the library, the boy stops, waiting. And you realize you've stopped too. Yes, you say. And it feels like the whole world leans in to hear. The world or just him, smiling and grave, his wings tucked neatly against his skin, keeping him warm. Yes, I do. Hey Phoebe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and sharing your beautiful short story with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I adored your short story. I found it so impactful in such a short amount of time. Um, but first, before we dig into your specific short story, um, I'd love to dig into the idea of why short stories. What's the appeal for you? Sure. So I think... I usually end up drafting short stories like between novel drafts. It's just kind of like a way to, you know, finish something and feel that, um, you know, that sense of accomplishment. And I think also like besides, you know, a break from other things, mm -hmm. I think short stories are really great. Like when I, there's something like there's a character beat or just like kind of one turning point or like moment. Um, that I see for like certain characters that isn't necessarily going to be expanded into like, you know, years worth of drafting. It's just like, you know, that one moment or that one kind of like experience that I might want to like meditate on or um, process through my writing. Um, and also I think, you know, short stories, I, I sometimes use them as kind of like a way to test drive different characters. Uh -huh. So if I want to, if I'm thinking about novel with like a certain premise or like, you know, a certain setup, like having those characters kind of interact in a kind of like more limited scope helps me to mm -hmm. decide like, do I actually enjoy being in this character's head? Like, could I last for, you know, 80,000 words with them? Do I even like them like as people? And kind of, I think that's a nice way to figure that out without, you know, committing mm -hmm. to you know, this one thing I did Went in like 2017 where I would like write 100,000 words and be like, <laughs> I don't like this premise and just throw it all away. So I think it's a little more efficient to like sketch out and kind of play with the ideas and the people before really like diving in. So do you find yourself um, sort of writing short stories just because they come to you and you're like, that's a short story? Um, do you find yourself or do you always find yourself using it kind of as an exercise in for your novel? I think kind of both so there are times where I have a theme where I have like some certain character arc mm. that I do see all the way to the end I'm like okay this is this is short but this like ends here yeah I, I tend to like plan the premises of my novels like more in depth before I start writing so I think in that case I might be more deliberate about saying like you know this is a test drive versus like um you know one shot 
And so what is it that kind of tells you a short story is a short story and not the the full-length novel or even a film or a play or other mediums? Well, I guess um, for me, like I... I told this to someone else recently, but it's this, it's this idea of like, oh, you're like wading into a pool and like a short story for me is like, if you can, you can kind of like see to the bottom, you can see to the end. Mm -hmm. And then novel is where like, oh, I have something to say and I've kind of like wandered out into the, you know, into the deep end, my feet can't touch the bottom anymore. And like, like I have these ideas, but I'm not completely sure how they all fit together. Cause like, I think in order for a novel to be like, I guess, complex enough to really like last for go for that length Mm -hmm. like i i think i do aim for i mean not that i'm actually a published novelist yet but like i do aim for kind of like that like having having enough richness in this story that you can't really contain it all in your head Mm. like before you write it yeah definitely i i i definitely have that myself in that when there's so many different threads um, that mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this has to be a novel because I don't think that this idea I have kind of can exist without all the other threads. Whereas it feels mm-hmm. like um, short stories, and I think so ex- brilliantly exemplified by this short story that you've shared with us today, um, some of them can exist purely on their own. And it has such a satisfying mm-hmm ending even if you don't necessarily feel vindicated by the end or you you don't feel um sort of everything's been answered it does have that whole feeling despite being so short and so when you're when you're writing either a short story or a novel how do you go about generating the ideas how do you go about putting pen to paper fingers to keyboard and getting those ideas out i think i do like get a lot of my ideas from reading Mm -hmm. um just because you know that is a way that I kind of interact with the world yeah. um, pretty often. Yeah, so I guess it could be like a character or like a magic system or just um, like a way of writing that will make me go, you know, like, this is really cool. Like, I want to, you know, I want to write like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that, you know, there are some people who are concerned about like, oh, if I read too much of this person, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take on their voice or I'll like, you know, just be a ripoff or being like, thinly veiled Uh fan fiction but i think like in the course of drafting like because it takes so long um you know there are going to be other influences and like other um like whether that's like books or film or just like life happening to you Mm -hmm. that will mix in with whatever kind of started or that initial seed yeah um and like help it to grow into something that is like uniquely you know your own um so i think that's usually how the process goes for me. I'm interested, you talked about um, people are concerned maybe they'd be writing fan fiction. I'm really intrigued. Do you come from a fan fiction writing background? Um, I don't. Like, I really admire fan fiction mm. writers, but I think, like, there's a personal thing in me that is, like, oh, like, if if I, if I have, if I'm, like, that much of a fan mm-hmm. of a certain work, I'm, like, I'm always, like, I couldn't do that character justice. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't touch it. And so I think a lot of things I write, or a lot of my early drafts will start out as this kind of, like, thinly veiled fan fiction, but also, like, with none of the original characters. Mm-hmm. Just, like, the themes and ideas yeah. and feelings. Yeah, and just kind of, like, expand from there. I'm so interested by the fan fiction writing world purely for the mm-hmm. fact that I don't think it was as much of a thing for me when I was growing up. 
um, in the UK. I know that like a lot of the writers that I know um, in the US um, sort of around the same age as me um, kind of have, you know, they had, I can't remember the website. Like fanfiction.net live journal yeah yeah so uh, the journal one I remember a lot of people had that and a lot of people and it might have been that I was uh, more in the theater sort of space especially when I was mm. growing up um, and so but I had never come across anyone that wrote fan fiction and I mm-hmm. find it to be really quite incredible to be able to kind of put on the hat of the author and kind of get into their characters I find it so difficult but I I do the Mm. same as you where I'm listening to something I'm reading something and I'm like oh I just love this character like how would I craft a voice similar or how would I do this Mm -hmm. similarly Um, and like you said your own experience and your own technique and your own skill and your own craft kind of uh, shapes that um, but yeah, I'm always fascinated. So I always ask people because I'm like, tell tell me how you do it. How does this work? <laughs> What's your AO3 handle? <laughs> <laughs> See, I do not get that reference. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So The Flock is Your Blood is this incredibly visceral, impactful, tiny short story. Um, so I would love to know how you got the inspiration to write this. Sure. So um, this particular short story was written I think either while or after I was reading the 10,000 Doors of January by Mm -hmm. Alex E. Harrow which is just like if you've read it like just the language is so gorgeous um and there's such there's this powerful yearning Mm. in the main character to like you know to be elsewhere kind of like the main character Mm -hmm. of my story um and I think like I know there are a lot of portal fantasies like um the premise of this one is kind of like this girl, you know, finds this door in the middle of a field and like she opens it and there's this new world, um, but she like isn't able to fully go through it. So she kind of has to live her life. And it's like the, I think it's like the 19, early 1900s mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of other stuff to, going on with like other doors and things. Um, all that to say like, you know, there, I guess, so technically this is a portal fantasy mm-hmm. um, and, you know, those are, There've been a lot of those written over the years, but I think what was special to me about this one was just this kind of like difficulty and like frustration mm-hmm. um, of actually like if you were actually in this world, like how difficult it would be to break through um, and like kind of even convince yourself that like it was real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think uh, the author just did a really great job of making it feel like, oh, this could actually happen. Um, yeah. And there's also this kind of like, there are like these like scholarly, you know, I don't know if it's called like meta text or like footnotes where there is, you know, there's this like kind of historical documentation. Oh, nice. Um, which is like super cool. Um, and yeah, it kind of gives it this like kind of scholarly feel, which is pretty neat as well. Um, and then I guess another kind of, so I talked about like mashups and other personal experiences breaking in, but mm. um the actual so the actual kind of world that the main character in my story um, breaks through kind of came from my experience of um, I talk about Jade City a lot <laughs> like everywhere um, but <laughs> Jade City by Fonda Lee um, mm-hmm. for the first time so it, for people who haven't read it yeah. um, it's this uh, it's the secondary world urban fantasy where um, bioenergetic jade so it's just like jade but it has like special it gives people like special martial arts powers and stuff okay um and obviously like people are fighting over it in this 
in the country that it's you know most abundant and then there's all this um international intrigue and like family issues going on um but i think the main thing for me in like reading that for the first time was you know like having these like asian coded characters mm-hmm. um in this context where you know there is a lot of emphasis on like family and duty and kind of like you know doing something for the good of Mm -hmm. the collective rather than you know your own like what your heart feels like yeah um i think like growing up with a lot of you know like 2010s ya like a lot of the you know a lot of the asian characters there it's always like you know the parents are regressive like they come from an old culture where you know like they can't understand me you know like they you know they they aren't relevant anymore Mm -hmm. um they are the thing that has to be cast off for me to like achieve my character arc right and i think you know seeing these like you know asian coded characters kind of going by this code that i was never able to fully like parse in my own parents Mm -hmm. was like super revelatory for me and that like oh this is like this is what this makes sense you know in a narrative context because i think you know i'm always looking for those like for like causation Mm -hmm. and context um and like finally kind of seeing my family in this context is like wow you know like this is um you know obviously it's dramatized heavily but Mm. you know this is kind of the this is like the emotion or like the kind of narrative weight behind those kind of behaviors or decisions and things like that so that was kind of the you know the experience with the birds and i know there's like certain connotations with like you know animals or whatever but i thought it was like kind of my attempt to parse it a little more like dive into that a little more i really love the fact that you've built like this very rich fantasy world that also feels very possible in today's um sort of the contemporary world that we see in a thousand words um and then you've also (laughs) brought in the themes that were so truly relevant to you do you often find yourself writing your own personal experiences into a fantasy setting i think you know as people as most writers say you know there's always a piece of yourself in each character mm-hmm. um maybe some more than others but i think you know like having this kind of like fantasy element or sci-fi sometimes mm-hmm. um it helps kind of inject that like I don't even want to, I don't want to say like distracting factor, but it's it's kind of, <laughs> you have the like, hey, look over here, there are people with wings. Um, <laughs> I feel like it kind of allows writers, me, um, to have that space to say, you know, like this isn't going to be a perfect allegory. Yeah. And also this is not necessarily, or this is not strictly biographical. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I think it gives, it gives some space to play as well as kind of like hit with those you know certain like with those emotional experiences so yeah absolutely i think it's it's a technique that's i mean one often used in uh, literature um but also there's um a term in theater called i'm probably going to pronounce it completely incorrectly but the from dem effect which is like a uh, german it's from like brechtian theater it's this whole sort of like uh black box theater movement um 
where you kind of create everything on stage. You don't have big elaborate sets or anything like that. And it's this idea of distancing um, from the emotion so that you're able to like be analytical and you'll be able to critique it and kind of create around like the political thing they're saying or the emotional thing or the biographical thing. Um, and it sounds like you kind of you employ that element as a way of really, really exploring sort of things that are deeply relevant and deeply current by creating these awesome fantasy worlds. So taking sort of the general fantasy um, and, and digging into The Flock is Your Blood, how did you think of this incredibly visceral language with the tweezing and the pulling and stumps of shoulder blades? Like, I found myself reading it and then listening to it and just kind of feeling uncomfortable but in a totally magical setting like how did you go about creating that hmm i guess like there is some element of horror in it Mm. like just like body horror yeah going back to the whole like being inspired by different books like i i feel like you know wilder girls by rory power like definitely so good (laughs) definitely um was a point of inspiration as well mm-hmm. and just yeah like I guess as you know as a teenager like remembering just being like super uncomfortable in your own mm. body and super like and like just not sure how to you know like navigate space or like navigate like walking through the world mm. um in in a way that is kind of clearly different like I grew up um you know as an Asian American person in a like predominantly white high school and there I guess there is the sense of like um you know like one of these is not like the other mm-hmm. um and like wanting to fix that or feeling like you know you could if you only you know did certain things um you could blend in or um at least like mask until um you know the chance of being i don't know if it's like being caught or like just just standing out in a way that is like super uncomfortable or like unpleasant is like averted so i think that also played into it yeah that line um i can't remember exactly what it is but it's like if you can just hold off for one more year like Mm -hmm. i found that so incredibly um it built so much empathy with sort of the listener as well as sort of um, the narrative voice and the main character. Um, I'd love to talk about the decision you um, made of using second person uh, sort of narrative voice um, and what it was that made Mm -hmm. you go for the you do this, you do that um, element. Yeah, talk me through that decision. Yeah, um, so... I really like second person and maybe I'm just a contrarian because there are, there are certain <laughs> magazines that are just like, we won't take any second person. I'm oh, like, really? Ha, 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 this is published. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think I, I've definitely been experimenting with like perspective. Like my first, um, I had a YA manuscript that went on sub, but that was completely first person. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I worked on a book that was completely in third person. Um, and so I think, and, and I think second person might be harder to, like, or at least less common. I know, like, mm. um, the fifth season is all in second person, things like that. Right. Um, but it's usually, I feel like, less common. But I think in short stories, um, it's a little more, and poetry too, it's a little more sustainable mm. um, just because, you know, you're not with the character for that long. Um, I guess, so... I think 
for me, like in terms of distance. In first person, there is definitely this intimacy yeah. of, and I, I know a lot of YA books are written this way as well, mm-hmm. where you know it's like I you know pull the feathers out of my yeah. shoulders and things like that. Um, and it does it provides this kind of like vulnerability. Um, I think writing in third person has allowed me to create characters that are a little more like competent for some reason. Uh-huh. Um, because in first person, you know, if, you know, the character is freaking out whenever they mess up at something, mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of get that sense of like, this person's really good at something because you're also seeing their like inner turmoil. But I think, I think second person is interesting because it, it's like, kind of a middle ground sometimes where there is this mix of like vulnerability and also like like, almost like intensity yeah definitely where like you can like this person is doing something horrible to themselves um and you are not completely in this like vulnerable position of like being them yeah but you're almost it's like you're being told that you are them i don't know it's it's like something i continue to explore i agree i think so, I mean, like you said, it's so rarely used. Um, and every time I see it, it strikes me as such a bold choice. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't always it doesn't always work um, for me or for someone. But when I read this for the first time, I was struck by how complicit I kind of felt hmm. when I was watching it. It kind of felt like the narrative voice for me was talking to this young girl who's so deeply uncomfortable and cannot see past this moment Hmm. um and it kind of also made me kind of feel that moment where I was that girl who felt very uncomfortable and and it kind of created so much empathy um I think because it just kind of really connected me to it in a way that I thought so many young people go through this this there must be a way to counter this that like there must be a way to Mm. counter this in myself there must be a way to counter it in my friends like it made me really reflect on the way that first person has that sort of classic uh feeling of it's so intimate you're in their head they're talking to you but then this for me felt so intimate and then when you read it when you performed it I I kind of really felt Oh, I felt really affected. <laughs> I thought you did such a wonderful job. I also wanted to talk about the the poetic language and it felt very poetic. It felt very, um, every line felt beautifully crafted. And I just want to know, like, how long did this draft take you? Did you sort of redraft and redraft and redraft? Was it like a magic happened afternoon? How did you go about that? Um. So... I think, like, most... Because, again, I was kind of high off the language of 10,000 Doors <laughs> of January. Um, I did... I think I did do the first draft all at once. Mm-hmm. And, like, most of it ended up actually... Like, with obviously with tweaks and, you know, after being out loud and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, the, the kind of, like, basic premise and feeling of it, I think, stayed... Yeah, pretty similar. Um, and I think the one thing that did change was I brought this to um, a beta reader who, yeah, just helped me with the kind of punchline. You know, the line where she's like, "Oh, um, the the bird is like as much a monster as she is in this little." Oh my gosh, I love that. Line. <laughs> and yeah, I think just like in terms of clarifying, you know, like what 
what is all of this language like kind of punching toward like where are you going with this and it was kind of like i knew where i was going but it was just like trying to be clearer about articulating what it was specifically yeah um i well i think you just created such a world that i i wanted to be in all the time which is one of the reasons why i thought i'd love to have this on the podcast it was so such a beautiful um contrast with a lot of the other sort of styles that i've i've looked at over the last um sort of eight episodes now mm. um and so before we get into the recording uh uh, question of this mm-hmm. um i'd love to know about your background um with audiobooks whether you're a listener um what's your experience do you turn to them regularly do you not let us in yeah um so i think i started reading audiobooks when i was in new york um just because mm-hmm. the commute was so long <laughs> and i was like i and you know my job required me to be looking at computers all day so i was like i need something like i need to read but i also my eyeballs like physically cannot stand like looking at another <laughs> screen um so that's i think when i started getting into it i think you know mostly now i read them when i'm on walk or you know just um doing other things but mm-hmm. yeah um i i think mostly i've been listening to nonfiction just cuz it feels yeah. cuz i i have a hard time sometimes reading nonfiction, it feels like I, I had this compulsion to, you know, get out a notebook and start taking notes. It's <laughs> just like a very deeply ingrained, like, school impulse. <laughs> and so, I feel that. Like, listening, like, forces me to, you know, like, I'm probably doing something else already, but it, it kind of allows me to process that information without feeling like I need to memorize it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But, yeah, I did, um, but I did also read... Um, jade city and jade war on audiobook and oh yeah that was amazing like the there there's such a huge cast in that book there's like 24 like speaking characters and wow. the was it a singular narrator yeah it was one narrator Woo. and he like does distinct voices for each of them and they're like all really good and like you can tell who's speaking and i'm just like wow this is this is magic <laughs> like it's like watching a movie except you know there's like this one actor <laughs> um wow. yeah so that's kind of been my experience um so how was how was the experience of recording the story how how was that for you this is really interesting i was asked to record the story for um the original magazine that published it um, which was If There's Anyone Left, Volume 1. Uh, but for some reason, they never um, they never released it. So I don't know what happened there. But I think like when I was recording that, it was, I think it took a lot of time just, you know, going back and seeing, you know, like this, you know, I need to flick, fix this inflection or, mm-hmm. you know, take this, more of this tone. Um and then also maybe not always having the clearest vision for it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I guess it's kind of boring there, but like, I don't know what else to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really interesting, like having you there to kind of like go back and like to emphasize certain parts and kind of have that, you know, like sense of direction. Um, mm-hmm. And it was definitely like a lot faster too <laughs> in terms of like, okay, like this is fine, um, but here's the thing that you could emphasize more um, instead of, you know, having to stop and then go back yes having kind of that 
vision and like you know producing was really cool and also it made me reflect on like you know longer form audio works too and being like oh so maybe this is how they do it and not die because (laughs) eight hours of reading and trying to kind of like perfect every like inflection would take a lot out of you (laughs) it does yeah it can it can take a lot out of you when you were recording it um originally um Mm -hmm. for for the the magazine that published it did they give you a director or anything like that or was it just a sort of would love a recording of this yeah it was just um you know like whatever i could Mm. come up with so great so it's an it's an interesting um yeah it's an interesting contrast to have that sort of and also like Mm -hmm. you're not um you're not a trained narrator you're not someone who uh, is used Mm -hmm. to cause sort of analyzing text for performance um and so yeah to have the contrast of that and then kind of at least have someone who's who's who does it professionally mm-hmm. um to have that I mean I when I read through it I was like oh I have ideas here I have ideas here I have ideas mm-hmm. here because my whole thing is that I mm-hmm. I look at script and I'm like how can this be an audiobook how can this mm-hmm. be film um so yeah that's really interesting um how did you find the sort of stopping and starting the taking direction because I thought that you handled direction amazingly you oh, made <laughs> probably only one mistake in the whole recording um but you were also really sort of receptive um and and asked questions what was that like kind of having to say okay these are my words how do I get them out of my mouth yeah, it was really interesting um like I haven't so I, I haven't watched a bunch of like I, I'm not a big movie or TV watcher, but mm-hmm. um I'm always fascinated by the kind of like behind the scenes where they're like between takes mm-hmm. and they kind of like you know, the actors kind of slip out of character. <laughs> they have to like, <laughs> you know, do a scene multiple times because like just the experience of um you know, like watching a film versus, you know, like watching someone say the same lines like over and over um yeah it's like fascinating to me so i guess like kind of getting to experience that for myself was really interesting <laughs> how how does someone who hasn't been trained sort of get their mouth to do that part of it might just be i've um i've had music lessons for a mm-hmm. number of years and so there would always be like a you know back up can you play this with more of a crescendo or like oh that's so interesting so the expression and dynamics of music kind of really helped you translate that yeah so yeah in terms of like the stopping and starting and Mm -hmm. sense of like performance but not quite Mm. there were some interesting parallels there we really had a lovely sense of performance and presentation as well a lot of the time when you can um when you're working with people who haven't sort of read out loud, performed or anything like that. You're trying to find this uh, space between what they'd naturally do if they were just reading it out loud to someone say, hey, listen to this quickly. And then that sort of performer, I've been trained for millions of years, it's trying to find that balance in the middle. And a lot of people find that really challenging, but you had this very beautiful presentational style, a very wistful narrative that kind of felt like it really encapsulated the world it took us into the mood of the the short story so perfectly i really really enjoyed that <laughs> thank you so 
how was it hearing your story? I love the music. Like I've never had music like composed for a story before. So it like put me on my feelings. Um, and I think also, and this kind of goes back to the process of recording it too, and kind of these questions of interpretation. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was interesting, kind of having that like that wistfulness and that sense of awe kind of directed Mm. i think you know writing the story or maybe just the voice in my head i had always kind of envisioned this character as more in more of a darker place Mm -hmm. um and so like highlighting those moments where you know like she looks at the boy's wings for the first time or she's you know Mm -hmm. seeing this flock of birds um and like narrating that with more of that like wonder or like even like a more like childlikeness mm. uh, was a really interesting kind of inflection that I hadn't thought about before. I really loved the way um, you voiced the boy and the girl. Like again, and this has happened in many other episodes of this, I really, really try not to make sure people are putting on voices so it doesn't feel like big caricatures. But I loved the way it came very naturally to you. It felt like you already had these voices very strongly in your head. Um, And I think one of the things that I loved so much about it is that neither of these characters had names. So we didn't have anything to really attach to. And there wasn't a huge description of that like the boy's character. I know we get a lot of the sort of inner turmoil of, of our main character. Um, but they were so well realized, and I think that really came beautifully in your in your vocal vocalizing of of their sort of dialogue. Um, had you thought about that in, in like beforehand? Uh, how was that? Yeah, so I guess with the actual voices, I kind of so with the previous recording, I kind of played around with it mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's nice to have a dress rehearsal. right like having having the girl sound like a little bit hopefully a little younger than the kind Mm -hmm. of main voice and then the voice sounding like a little more like a boy without being like super um caricature (laughs) because i'm obviously i don't have that range but yeah it was it was like i think just came out of feeling those characters like as like in my mind or like as themselves yeah and did that process when you were kind of digging around and trying to make these voices um like was it easy to translate what you'd thought about in your head or how how was it did you have to try for ages to kind of get what you like um or or did it just come to you really naturally I think it came fairly naturally um Mm -hmm. I think because I know some people they like when they read they will like you know visualize like whole movie in their head or yeah you know, some people will only hear the words in sort of like audio way like when they're yeah. reading um so i feel like i might be a little bit in between where i like like i don't see the visuals like maybe as vividly as a movie but then mm-hmm. there's also a little bit of the voice like this is you know this is how this person sounds like um but then also because it's like i'm reading like there's a certain way that i read that like there are certain aspects of my reading that don't really change. So it's kind of like a mix of those two. Yeah. yeah. I love the moment in the uh, short story when um, she thinks he knows, he knows, he knows. Um, and I know we, we did that a couple of times, mm-hmm. three or four times, um, because we were really trying to get that sort of inner voice 
of that girl and that moment where you're just so mm-hmm. convinced that your world is about to end and this whole feeling of otherness and then he lifts up his shirt and you see the mm-hmm. she sees the wings and that moment of connection i loved the way you narrated that mm-hmm. moment i thought it was kind of revelatory it was that moment of awe that you really had built up to um and and when he said um i want to show you something um that was just like a you completely wanted her to go you were like yes you've bought in um i thought you did that brilliantly and the narration was just gorgeous did you have a favorite moment within within Um, the story in audio i guess i I did like the line um as fields give way to mountains give way to sea Mm. um just because i guess it has some more or Mm. has some of that like rhythm or we again we did that line um the mountains give way to sea we did that line a couple of times because i really wanted to feel that rolling space um and one of the things i think you did so well that translated beautifully to audio was that it's a very rhythmical short story like there's lots of experimenting with very short sentences and then very long sentences and how how, like did it sound the way you wanted it to read um i think it did like usually for short stories i will try to read them aloud all the way through great so there is like if there is something weird that comes up like hopefully i catch it before it goes out into the world in terms of rhythm and cadence like i think it it does come from just reading a lot of mm. books um and sometimes you know like if i've read a lot of books by the same author i'll find myself kind of like drifting and then like drifting a different way when i read someone else so mm-hmm. yeah i think it definitely like depends on what's happening like input wise at the time um, did you were you able to take anything new away from the story when you heard it as opposed to when you were sort of had read it I think it was it was interesting kind of seeing the different pieces like edited together mm-hmm. and the difference between what I think is coming out of my mouth and like what mm-hmm. has actually come out of my mouth. <laughs> Especially in those um at those points where, you know, like you were asking for like more emotion or a certain like inflection. Um and I was like, Of course I'm like I'm feeling that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know, maybe it's not always translating like as much as I think it is um but then kind of seeing you know the most or like the, the final takes kind of pushed together I'm like oh like that's you know that's what happens when you <laughs> when you have you know direction or you have like that directive of you know this is how you want to convey like a certain sentence or mm-hmm. something like right um and then I guess I guess that co- sort of feeds into the idea of um, have your feelings towards audiobooks or audio productions changed at all? Have you gained any extra insight? Is it something that you'll maybe like think about when you write in the future? Um, I mean, you said that you already you read them out loud anyway. Um, would you go further and record it and see how it sounds back to you? I think I do have maybe more of a sense of what producers and directors actually do. Because I guess the common image, and I and I did work at Penguin Random House for a while, yeah. and I would like walk past the audio studio, and there'd just be like a person sitting there, and like a bunch of people kind of like standing around and like eating food. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, okay, so I guess they like hit record as the reader like reads their book, but this experience helped me to realize, you know, like 
they do so much more and there is this kind of like artistic interpretation um in place which is like really cool yeah i think i mean sometimes it really genuinely is just a press play and go and some people there are some narrators out there that just like they they weave magic and it just works mm. and it's just brilliant and um, mm-hmm. sometimes um sort of a director or a producer will have a really really strong vision of what they want and so they work mm-hmm. a little harder and um, if you're working with an author narrator that often requires a little bit more sort of uh I think our session together was probably very reflective of what an author narrator sort of read would be hmm. in that there were huge paragraphs where you didn't you weren't needed to be stopped at all or anything like that and then other moments where it's like you know I think you can make that land a little bit more and then it was a pretty quick recording I think it probably took us about 25 minutes to actually record the piece yeah um, I was surprised <laughs> yeah and and it ended up being 8 minutes so that's actually mm-hmm probably quite indicative of uh, sort of a studio would normally look like so this has been awesome um where can listeners find you if they uh if they want to find more about your work yeah um so i have a website it's ph-low.com um and then i'm also on twitter a lot at underscore low ph great that's awesome thank you so much for sharing your beautiful beautiful story and having a chat with me today yeah thank you so much for having me on your podcast thank you so much to phoebe for sharing her story and process with us this week thank you so much to teddy merricks for the music and logos and thank you of course to you for listening I'd love it if you could take a second to show the podcast some love, share it on your social, force your family to listen to it in the car, give it a review. It would really mean so much to me. If you're interested in getting involved, either by submitting your short story or having a chat with me about audiobooks, you can find more info and contact details on my website at englishgirlinnewyork.org. I also hang around on Instagram under at aliciasbooks.n.bobs, as in books and bobs. This was In Short, the podcast from Blanket Fort Productions. See you all next time.